Well, welcome to episode 63 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And this is going to be our big Western Conference preview. Daz, we, we took us the best part of two hours to get through the East. And the West is even more uh, content-rich, if you like, Daz. So we'll see how we go in terms of uh, the timings of things. But have you been able to catch up with any pre-season action uh, to date as, as it kicked off last week? I'm catching up with, the, I guess, the bad news, which is the injuries kind of injuries piling up and the um, Dante DiVincenzo made a basket. Those are my two my two headlines from the preseason. He Dante did. made a basket. He did. Uh, Lonnie Walker was three for three in his debut for five minutes and then did his knee. So uh, meniscal tear, he's out six to eight weeks and a more serious knee injury today for the Spurs, which we'll get to as part of the Spurs preview. I have been taking a little bit of note of, of the Australian teams, Daz. I don't know if you've caught some of the scores. Most of them have been getting blown out, but the Perth Wildcats have been pretty competitive. They had a couple of games where they were uh, only signal digits down, and the NBA teams have been taking those reasonably seriously in terms of putting they in have. the lineups. Uh, so it's, it's a good start for some of those NBL teams, and the NBL does actually start this weekend, so we'll obviously take a bit of a more than the passing interest in that. We might even try and sort of work some NBL in uh, each week as we talk about that. But there were some encouraging signs, I think, uh, particularly from the Wildcats, but I think for all the, the Australian teams that went over there, um, that they looked okay and and, were, and, were reason, and and particularly Perth were reasonably competitive and the other guys. Um, it's just good to get minutes against that sort of quality of opposition at the end of the day. So, But we might start as we've got the... Um, We've got the uh, Western Conference, as I said, to start up with, and we've, uh, we're going to do a little bit different the way we've done the East. I'm going to break down uh, the ins and outs of each squad, something we didn't do uh, last week, and we're just going to look at our biggest questions for each of these squads. Some of them will obviously spend some more time on than others. I think we've sort of covered some of these teams already in, in, in a bit of detail in the off-season, and obviously other teams um, we haven't talked about as much. I'm going to start with the Sacramento Kings, Daz, and uh, they actually picked up two guys that reneged on contracts elsewhere to come and sign for them, amazingly, and that was Billy Leacher and Yogi Ferrell. They also traded for Ben, ben McLemore going back there, uh, Deontay Davis, and, of course, drafted Marvin Bagley. Out was Vince Carter and Garrett Temple uh, were the main guys that went out there. Uh, now, my question for them really was about, I think the big watch on this team is going to be just how bad are they going to be? Uh, you asked what's, what's for dinner was your question. I wouldn't be quite that harsh. I actually think it's it, for the future of the league, Daz, this is actually an important team for the future of the Eastern Conference because they don't own their first draft first round draft pick next year it is owned by either the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers and as we discussed before we came on here the protections around that pick are that if they if they get the number one pick which I think is very much in play uh, Philadelphia keeps the pick and Boston gets Philly's pick this is part of the Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum trade and obviously if it falls anywhere from two to 30 which obviously it will outside number one uh, Boston will get Sacramento's pick so all eyes really are only going to be on just how bad Sacramento are going to be. I think they're going to have the worst record or at least one of the bottom two records in the league. I don't know. I haven't sort of looked at the odds on, on where that places them in terms of whether they get the first pick or not. But do you see any anything of interest in this team? Obviously, there's some interest in the development of some of the players. But, I mean, what, what are the chances do you think that they're going to be the worst team in the league this year? I would have them tipped to be um, the worst team at this point. I would, yeah. But look, it's not without 
it's not without some drama, as you hinted at, um, you know, the Manche, the, how do you pronounce Bielitsa? Mm. The Manche Bielitsa, and then it was a Yogi Ferrell, Yogi Ferrell, right? The two guys who, who got, what's the new nickname, is the Vlad father. You know, <laughs> Vlad had taken these guys off the market after already making commitments to other teams. But um, look, that's definitely not the headlines. Look, I guess there's there's sort of three I guess three headlines for this team, as you've hinted at headline number one, is their pick is owed to um, Philadelphia if it's the, they get the number one pick, and it goes to Boston basically if it lands kind of, you know, number two and beyond. Yeah. Just assuming, right, here's a big assumption, that Sacramento finishes with the worst record in the Philadelphia the 76ers, which is probably a pretty safe assumption. So there's a bit of watching going on in the Eastern Conference, that's for sure. Um, look, there's a couple appealing stories here. I think... Uh, he got overlooked last year, um, easy to overlook teams in Sacramento, and w- was probably, you know, again, overlooked in the Boogie Cousins trade. But Buddy Heald, you know, had a sneaky, decent season last year. I think Buddy Heald is a nice, um, looking like he's going to be an NBA player. He's going to stick around for a while, to at least be in that, you know, that three-point sharpshooter. You know, at worst, he could be Kyle Cover for court for a while, and at best, maybe he can kind of turn into a little bit of, look, he'll never have the explosiveness of, of Tyreek Evans, but that sort of type of usage player, maybe he's a, somewhere between Lou Williams and Tyreek. You know, when he shot, you know, 43% two years in a row from downtown, that for me constitutes uh, absolute dead-eye and one of the best shooters in the league at five attempts per game. So I think if you're Sacramento, you're feeling pretty decent about having a very modern modern two in buddy albeit a low usage and you know a guy who doesn't exactly play 40 minutes a game but i think it's pretty safe to say that was a that was an asset right from the um from the boogie trade at the time of the trade that's that's saying something i think most of us thought this was a you know that he'd be lucky to could he fall into the rj hunter category of of shooter and just sort of not have not have enough athleticism to translate into the nba so Feeling pretty good about Buddy. It's that's a that's a nice asset to have. And look, looking for I guess other things, other storylines this year. Perhaps the spotlight's going to be on De'Aaron Fox, right? Year two, expecting to make a jump. You know, he had a pretty inefficient season last year. Um, you know, has a recklessness about him, but maybe that's part of his strengths as well. As he's you know, he's pretty fearless. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Look, between him and Buddy, they're not going to pay, play much defense. So um, not that anyone in Sacramento is going to care, but I think watching how those two develop as a starting backcourt, and, and particularly Fox, and see what, you know, if he can take the next step in terms of decision-making and efficiency and, and, and getting players involved and sort of making a, a, a noticeable movement on his assist-to-turnover ratio, which, you know, didn't even hit 2-1 to one last year so. Hoping to see him develop, and what's amazing, he's still only 20 years old, Daz, so Fox, pretty exciting. And so you can see the sort of theme of my messaging for Sacramento. It's all about just picking out individuals and see if they can develop. And then, of course, I almost, I'm going to glaze over, you know, Marvin Bagley. He's been widely panned by most of the nerdarati, you know, the NBA Twitterverse who, you know, who talks about this stuff. Um, and, and we'll see. I'm not going to pile on to it. We'll see if, you know, passing... Um, passing on Luca or Trey Young, even for that, who's been a bit of the darling of the summer, um, is going to come back to really haunt him, or if he turns into something at least at a, um, let's even say a Jabari Parker level, all offense, no defense sort of level. Um, 
But perhaps the most interesting story of, of them all for me is the, the probably because it's just the narrative around the kid is, is Harry Giles, who right, had some devastating injuries. Well, just quickly um, too, I think he was the yeah. other part of that New Orleans trade. So if he does pop this year, and, he, and he's looked okay in the preseason, he's had some nice moments in the summer league, that trade's starting to look a hell of a lot better all of a sudden than what it did when they originally pulled the trigger. Was it the Giles pick? I thought it was a higher pick, but you it could It might be have right. been the Justin Jackson pick, but I've got a feeling it. well, Giles was certainly there via trade. They had the three picks, um, and I th- they might have even used one of the picks when you moved to, to up, up a spot or something like that. But, I think it... I- yeah, I think I think it was a I, I lose track. Right, it was a JJ or the Giles pick. I just thought Giles fell to the second round. That's why I thought no, no, no he, he didn't t- fall that far. That was, he, he was, was a twentieth. You're right, or something like that. Twentieth, yeah. you're right. Also, if it's healed and Giles, you know, you're feeling okay, right? It, it, it's certainly not value for Boogie Cousins in a vacuum, but again, with his history there, with the fact this was, you know, he, they weren't going anywhere with him, and he didn't want to pay him forty million dollars a year. Okay, you know, they, they've done okay. I would say, especially with with Buddy Giles, feel good story. You know, super supreme freakish athlete. You know, McDonald's All American, a really top five star recruit coming out of high school. Then some devastating, really tough um, uh, knee injuries, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was it back injuries, or maybe a bit of? Sounds like he's got his body right again, and he's been going through you know the preseason pretty well. And so, um, a bit of a wild card. And just look, it's it's been easy, you know, with the latest trade they made, but. Um, you'd like to see a team like this, at least for the fan base, if nothing else, has some exciting, you know, can jump out of the gym and do some exciting shit. And even whilst they're losing, you know, 137 to 122, if they, they can have some fun in the process and you can see some glimmers of hope. Um, yeah, that's, that's what the we're thing. looking it's, for. It's all about yeah. hope. It, it's about Bogdanovich, who, looked, who was their best player last year. You probably expect him to be their best. And he's still only young as well. So there's some development there. We'll see with Bagley, to your point. Uh, Harry Giles is going to be a good story to see him come back. We'll see if Fox can come go further forward, etc. So, And I think Justin Jackson showed enough signs last year to suggest he, he's got an NBA career ahead of him. Where that's going to top out, we don't know. I don't think he's going to be an outstanding player. But I could see him being a seventh, eighth man. On a, on a team that makes the playoffs type of thing, I think that's where he could sort of go. Uh, that trade, I mean, the trade with, with the pick going to Philly or Boston, that might be the worst trade in the history of the NBA, does because that was just simply a trade to offload salary. And I think Nick, Nick Stauskas, who was a lottery pick himself for Sacramento, was a part of the trade to get off Nick Stauskas' salary so they could sign Rajon Rondo, Marco Bellinelli and Costa Kufus. Just an unbelievably bad trade. Uh, and we're just going to be shaking our heads about it, I think, for the rest of the year as we look at the standings and wonder if, if it's going to be the number one pick, the number two pick, number three pick. Uh, it's certainly going to be top five uh, going to either Philly or Boston. Look, just to that point, which is the broader, one of the broader threads which we've been talking about since we've been in our 63 episodes is the, you know, is it's just an example of just how Machiavellian and survival to fittest the NBA is where there's, you know, there's this almost no, sh- there's no shame. There's absolutely no shame. And it's absolute sport when um, Danny Ainge can take advantage of a, the extreme desperation, you know, of, uh, of a Mikhail Prokhorov and he can take advantage of the extreme ignorance and desperation, you know, of a, who was then a complete, not only a neophyte GM, but a neophyte who didn't, uh, in Vladimir's form of neophyte, where he he was you know 
he was Elton Brand without the charm, right? And and just getting absolutely fleeced in a deal like this, you know, with with um, it was Hinky, wasn't it? Was it? Hinky, yeah. It was Hinky back in the day when this deal was dealt. And so just the that's just the nature of this of this business is absolutely um, it's a zero sum game, and that's why when I you know having um, when I st- stopped the vitriol dripping from my um, from my fangs, talking about the d- gigantic missed opportunity in Milwaukee to have the absolutely transcendent ascendant star in Milwaukee, and to have the series of transactions they they bungled, you know, leading up to this point, it just makes me shake my head when there's an embarrassment of riches and you know like in the more Machiavellian cupboards of of Danny Ainge and you know and the Sam Hinkey Sixers. So, and we continue to see it with the likes of Daryl Morey. As uh, Justin Verdon likes to say, Daryl Morey <laughs> in in Houston stockpiling assets for um, you know, to make us all look a little bit sillier with our you know with our our, our winsome hopes for a you know I don't know a win season, but yeah, fuck you, Vlade, giving your your picks to these you know my arch enemies and the nemesis in the East. But so I hope they win as many games as possible, Daz. But you know, that's uh, I think that's wishful yeah, thinking. I think that is, and of all the players I thought you'd mentioned early in the pod, I don't think R.J. Hunter was on was high on my list of guys that we would uh, <laughs> we would be mentioning. But there, there you go, as you pulled out another one tonight. We'll move on to the next team. We both had ranked as the second lowest team in the Western Conference. We're not going to spend a lot of time on because we've spoken about them uh, at length a couple of episodes ago uh, when we discussed the Houston trade. I'll quickly cover off. Uh, the players they've brought in, they've brought in Ryan Anderson, Trevor Ariza, and Holmes uh, from the 76ers, who actually could be a decent contributor for them this year. D'Anthony Melton, uh, also from a trade of the Rockets. Obviously, John Drayton was the number one draft pick. Mikhail Bridges, who they got via trade, uh, was drafted number 10 by Philadelphia, and then they traded Zaire Smith for him uh, and the Miami pick. Uh, Elo Kobu who I think will play a bit this year. He's the French point guard. And George King, who's a second-round draft pick. They've lost Marquise Chris, Jared Dudley, Brandon Knight, Alex Len, Alfred Payton, Tyler Eulis, and Alan Williams uh, was waived there. So uh, just turning to our questions for this team, uh, really it was just a matter of, for me, what players, what are you looking for from Booker and Aiton in terms of their development? I won't sort of touch, your question was more around the trades and things like that, which we've already spoken about. Um, so but what are you looking for from a development point of view from, from Booker and Aiton in particular this year to feel good about where the Suns are headed? Because the, the early signs for me on Aiton are not good. I have to tell you that. Yeah, look, you know, he was he's, he wasn't, He's probably not as divisive as a number one pick as you could find. Oops, sorry. There's my the uh, the video, auto video play going off on this page. But uh, look, I think he's looked all right in the in the. It's pre-season. more off the court, Daz. Just quickly, I, I worry yeah. about his attitude off the court. When they had the media day there in, in Phoenix, and apparently asked, "Do I have to come back and do this again next year?" Now maybe that's just a young guy. But th- that was the knock on him coming in. It's like, does this guy love basketball enough? Or is he just another one of these guys that's really good, really athletic, but doesn't necessarily love the game and he's not going to get into the grind of an NBA season? Um, that's my concern with uh, DeAndre Ayton. And there's a lot of personalities already like that in this Phoenix locker room. I think only time can tell. I think, you know... 
he doesn't have for, for me it's the we were actually worried about with his attitude i he doesn't feel like the larry sanders which is the truly a guy who so what, what didn't get reported probably enough about larry sanders is that he was he started basketball very 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 late like something like age 14 or 15 they decided oh you're really tall so you should play and so that was never ever in larry sanders you know, just using him as a recent example of a player who literally quit in his prime. Uh, and he actually made an all-NBA defensive team, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I, I digress. Still getting paid so, by I, the Bucks $2 million a year, does. Yeah, genius. Right? He's like a genius. He paid not to play. So, like, so I, I genuinely ask, what are we actually worried about in terms of DeAndre Ayton? Are we worried about he's going to go Larry Sanders a wall? Are we worried that he is a Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, sort of styled player, which is just really keen to take the back seat and not fulfill kind of the potential? Doesn't have the killer instinct. Are we worried that he's a Dwight Howard dickhead who's just so unbelievably grating and emotionally retarded and just having no common sense about how he he handles his teammates and he creates just that awkward presence. Like I, and I, I used to think it's, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what style personality that this kind of quirky young kid has and how, I guess yet in terms of a, you know, a risk, is it arms it off the court? Is it locker room? Is it, you know, or is he just more Carmelo who just wants to be, maybe he just wants to be cool. Right. And you know, there's worse, there's worse archetypes than Carmelo, you know, 27 points a game on a, 27 win team every year um so i I guess i'm i could probably less worried about eight right now so your question was what am i looking for i'm looking for can he run a fucking pick and roll can he help defend can he can he get in there and when draymond punches him in the chest and give it back to him can he um go after after he gets rejected by a girl bear can he go back down the next time down the court and dunk on him can he um, do enough to disrupt, you know, Jokic for a few possessions, you know, um, a quarter. Can he, right? Can he be a good teammate? So I'm, I'm looking for all those things. You're looking for for a number one pick is can he stand up to the best centers, if not for full games, certainly for quarters or possessions. And can he show me flashes? Can he show versatility? Can he PNR? Can he pick and pop a little bit and show what he loved to show? almost Thon Maker like in his, you know, in his highlight reel is a is a face up game. So I go, his his show reel is real. Right? His show reel is absolutely real. It's little parts Hakeem, little parts Olajuwon. So it, for me this it's less about Booker. I think Booker is such a pure shooter, especially off the bounce. I'm not worried about Booker. I think he'll take a couple steps back in terms of raw points per game. It's all about how can DeAndre play off of him and I guess that's the theory, right, of this, again, I'll call it sort of completely ill-conceived notion. It's a theory of the team who just wants to have the more modern NBA style and getting the reason the Trevor Andersons of the world you know, to play 20 to 30 minutes a night and just stand in the corner and let Devin and DeAndre go to go to work. But that's the theory of this team is, is that sort of, um, almost five out kind of theory. So we'll see and if they even have the right coach. That's probably for me the second point. So it's less about Booker. It's more about Aiton, how he places offer, and how's it go with Kukoskov. Did I get that right? 
believe so. Kokoskov, <laughs> right? On Slovakian, yeah. Uh, yeah, Slovakian pronunciation. So what? My, my worry he? with with Aiton is, yeah. I just think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be. I got mine, therefore I've done my job. And it's and is he going to go the extra yard to get your win when, when they're ready to win? And I'm just not sure he's that guy. You know, I think it's. It's more. I think he's going to be Andrew Bynum. That's the type of attitude I see out of this guy, um, and I, and obviously we don't know what Bynum would have been if he didn't get injured. But well, it's um, not just Bynum. There's a lot of players. Like I mean, Jabari is a bit like that. Jabari was a. Yep. I need my twenty five, and I'll be such a great citizen. That's it. He, I think he's going to be a box yeah. score. I just uh, I Could just be. think he's going to be a guy who looks at the box score like Kobe did, particularly late career Kobe. I got mine. What did everyone else do? You know, yeah, Monte uh, Ellis, uh, Carmelo Anthony, as we said before. So that, yep. that could be. That's probably a fair. I think that's a fair label on the risk of him. But I, I, I think I this am, is a bad roster for him to be part of with that sort of attitude. Dreadful. But again, that's why I, I thought it was coming. My, maybe I should have made the second point first. Is the what type of coach is um, is this guy? So let's call him Coach K for the moment. Um, we all have to learn how to pronounce his name. Kokoskov, isn't it? Kukoskov. Kukoskov. It's not yeah. that complicated, I guess, is it, right? So that's where this comes down to. How much pressure is this um, team under to win? So is he gonna actually going to get enough run? Or are they going to be pressured you know, to play Tyson Chandler at the five with, you know, with Anderson at the four and play them bigger minutes? I would hope not. But what kind of coach is he? What kind of system does he install? And what kind of habits does he create? So much like I'm seeing in the unwinding of the Jason Kidd era in Milwaukee with all these young guys, you know, a lot of horrible habits built up, particularly in the defensive end in Milwaukee. You know, a couple of bad years of coaching will imprint some really shitty habits, mm. you know, in a guy like Aiton who has very had, had very little right high-level coaching in his life, right? He's 19, looks like he just turned 20. So, Well, I think he'd be um, a good coach. I mean, he, he coached the Slovakian national team to the Euro uh, championships, and he was an assistant on the very highly respected coaching staff at Utah. So he's got some pedigree behind him, uh, but it, it, it's going to take a few years to reset that culture there because it was toxic. It was absolutely Look, toxic. He, heavy lie of the crown, Daz. It's a, uh, it's um, he wouldn't be the first assistant to to fail right once mm. in the hot seat and under the pressure of a a GM whose job is under pressure and an owner who's you know, sort of famously meddling than unmeddling. So um, it's just, a, there's a, this is a bizarrely pressure-filled season for, for Kokoskov in, you know, what should have been a nice young team, you know, with the pressure of, say, the Orlando Magic or the Atlanta Hawks, where it's year one of a rebuild. This is my problem with the Phoenix Suns and why we should, probably shouldn't spend so much time on them. They're so Jekyll and Hyde, inconsistent, maddeningly, changing direction constantly and it's just you just don't know which way they're going and so that's a bloody bloody hard first job so of all the first jobs in the league i think this is one of the tougher ones so that's probably the two things i'm looking for let's uh, let's see what ayton becomes i think you call it a very fair risk i think his his floor is quite high he just feels like he's going to get 15 and 8 even on a bad night um kind of as an average Hmm. i think his usage might suffer which is to your point is what if his usage starts to suffer? What if T.J. Warren actually can play a little? You know, what if what if Miles Bridges can play? What if Booker? What if Booker does start playing point guard? Right? If Booker plays the point and he's got the ball, 
fuck, what if he plays Curry-like, right, which is a really high-usage kind of player? Does Aiton have the smarts to play off of that? Does he have the temperament, you know, to, you know, to work off ball and to help others and set screens and do enough of the work to let his stuff come to him? And I think that's a very fair, very fair question. And so I hope we all, again, I will count myself in this. I've, I've been so fast to criticize this team for its inconsistencies, but maybe I think, maybe let's give them a half a season. Let's see how Koskov goes. Let's give them 40, 50 games and see, see how it plays out. But I tell you what, this is going to be one of the more interesting league pass teams. If you ask me, I think there's just enough, Interesting crap going on down there where I'll check in on the Suns now. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of close games there too because I think they're going to be competitive. It's just whether they can bring it home um, at the end of the year. The other thing I'd say about the back, the last thing I'll point I'll make about some of those terms at the back end of the Western Conference, I think it's going to be tougher for them than people realise because there's not, there's not going to be any complacency this year in the Western Conference. And the reason I say that is because the, competitive, the playoff race is going to be so competitive you have to beat the Sacramentos and the Phoenixes of the Western Conference because that is a game lost on the rest of the conference. And ask Denver what that can mean at the end of a season because they dropped games to both of those teams last year and ended up missing uh, the playoffs by a game. So I think every single team is going to bring it and make sure that they put those two teams that, to the sword. That is a that might be the that's a great point. Uh, it might be with the. the You've just sort of had a gigantic light bulb go on for me, Daz. I was going, who is tanking in the West, Daz? Sacramento isn't because they don't have their pick. Phoenix sure as hell isn't. They signed a bunch of vets, right? They took on Ryan fucking Anderson's contract, paid uh, Ariza a fortune for one year, um, got the high floor, low, lower ceiling versus Doncic getting Aiton, right? They're trying to win. Dallas goes and blows their load on DeAndre Jordan. They're trying to win basketball games. Steve Ballmer, he's trying to win in the in Los Angeles, and they're trying to get a Jimmy Butler. Memphis is desperate to win to keep the fans in the seats. Now that Conley and Gasol are back, and they want to try and make you know a, a respectable run, you know, towards the end of this you know very venerated duo's career. And then you're into the playoff teams: Portland, Minnesota, L.A., Utah, Denver. Hmm. There isn't a single tank in the Western Conference. Where in the East, you could make the case that New York, Atlanta, Orlando, Brooklyn, um, and if things go badly, Charlotte, um, they could be tanking. Chicago could is almost certainly tanking. Cleveland, you got literally, tanking. Cleveland could be. So you got literally four or five tankers, right? So for as much credit as you given to the, the sort of top four or five teams in the East being credible, like if they had to go in a seven-game series against the top five team, in the West, I think they've made movements, but the bottom has gotten much, 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 much worse. But even so not a, tanking, I think Phoenix and Sacramento are going to find it very, very hard to win games in the West. Oh, uh, Dallas too, yeah. Dallas, and LA's, that's the next team we'll yeah. talk about, of course. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's just something to remember when you when you do start looking at these teams' records, even though they're not tanking. It's it's teams are going to bring it every single night. Um, and it's going to be very hard for young yeah. teams um, to, to come forward and, and win games. And I think for Phoenix, it's more about being competitive this year than actual wins-losses um, to a certain extent. So let's move on to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, my question on the Dallas Mavericks was around something that I've touched on a number of times, Daz. Does a team know where it's at? And I think I've actually asked this about Dallas and the moves that they made in the off-season. 
I thought it was just a crazy move to bring DeAndre Jordan in um, in terms of where, what do you think that's going to do to you? Um, but maybe they're just going to be that bad given the competitiveness of the West. It may not matter to their overall draft picks anyway. Um, I mean, do you see any scenario where this sort of works and we look back on the, and at the end of the season they've made a bit of a playoff run, they've even gone up to 9, 10 seed? I just can't see where it's going to be. I think my question was something to the effect of my key question for this team is they signed, you know, 50-year-old Devin Harrison, 40-year-old J.J. Barea, re-signed him. They have slowing and increasingly disinterested center on a gigantic and expiring contract in DeAndre Jordan. They have a wooden, um, dilapidated, um, little brain hall of famer and Dirk still limping and tiptoeing around the court, you know, 15, 20 minutes well, a night. Well, can you believe, just quickly on Dirk, he was mm, listed yeah. in the top 100 players in the NBA? Yeah, that doesn't... <laughs> like, he's not in... Cur- he, courtesy. He'd be almost in the bottom 10. That I, I nearly he's, fell off my chair when I read that. He is un, inarguably unplayable on a top, certainly all the top six seeds. You can play on Detroit, or eh, that's about it. He's the only top. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a first. Who did that? Was that was that, that was the SI? SI or the that ES- was the SI. Really? Mm. Yeah, idiots. So really, and quickly on their on their player movements, not really much to to talk about. To be honest, it was really Doncic and uh, John Dre Jordan in and Seth Curry. Uh, I mean Doug McDermott. No one's no one's no one's nowhere out, but not a not a major amount of moves outside of the obviously the Jordan and Doncic moves to come in. No, so my question was, it was a very long question, which is exactly to my point. What you said is, there's all these moves with the Woodenberg, the erratic but electric athlete with kind of unbridled enthusiasm. And he needs a lot more coaching. You know, um, with very little instincts and tons of athleticism, Dennis Smith, and now pairing him next to the most decorated, unathletic, baby fat Doncic, you know, the most decorated European player ever. So the question is, it can't possibly work, can it? <laughs> I go, this feels like, to no, it can't work. And this is team, again, the West in this 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 year's Western Conference. I can't imagine them winning thirty. 25 for sure, but my goodness, the fun Rick Carlisle is going to have um, trying to figure this out. That is absolute. It's almost L.A. Laker alchemy they, um, with the pieces he has um, has to play with. And, man, it'd be fun to coach Luca, wouldn't it? You know, with Luca and um, Dennis Smith um, and DeAndre Jordan actually would be fun to coach with a nice guy, Harrison Barnes, you know, scoring 18 points a game. So I think they're. I think the fans are going to have some fun in Dallas, but that team's going to lose a lot of games. They're going to lose a lot of games, Dallas. Yeah, look, I'm not. I'm not too. I mean, I think obviously the big watch is just going to be Doncic and, and whether Dennis Smith can take another step up. And and they're going to have some nights where they're they're fun to watch and they're running up and down the court. But that, that's the big watch. I think it's all about the future for Dallas. And um, oh, there's still people suggesting they could make a playoff run this season. I just can't see it. Um, unless they somehow get into the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes and, and pull off a Jimmy Butler trade, which I can't no see how that's going to happen. So we'll move on. Our first disagreement, actually, Daz. So I've got um, Minnesota down at 12, and you've got them at 9. So you're a little bit 
uh, higher on them than what I am. Um, have a look at your question. The one question is, what the hell happened? No matter the coach, no matter the return for Jimmy, the question is, how good can the team with Carl Anthony Towns at 30% usage? Is there a coach with the vision and system to make them Denver good on offense? And is the roster even suited to orient around Carl Anthony Towns? Will Minnesota sell off all the timber balls and find a much better way to blend skills? And that sort of does, I guess, cover some of the questions that that we've had um, about this term. I mean, the, the preseason signs are absolutely awful for Andrew Wiggins. I cannot believe the stat lines that this guy is putting up in the preseason. Now, I know it's only preseason, but you would think with the controversy that surrounds this team, he would come out and be putting up like the other day, he played 26 minutes, shot two for six from the field, didn't get to the three-throw line, one rebound, one assist, one block, two turnovers. That was his. Well, that was his stat line. That was better than. That's actually better than his game tonight. They played the Bucks today, and they got beat by 18. Well, he put up a much pre- bigger stat line, did he today? Yeah, six points on two of six shooting. <laughs> Missed half of his free throws, two of four. Grabbed five defensive rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, four turnovers. So his assist to turnover ratio is zero to four. That's zero by definition. Two fouls and a minus four. All right, six points. How does a guy take six shots in 24 minutes and turn the ball over four times? That is a that is a stat line. He could delete his name from it. That's a stat line of a player not trying. But why no. not? I mean, you would think, wouldn't you think he would have been more engaged and say, okay, I'm back now. I'm I'm the I'm the, at least the second guy on this on this roster. I've got my big contract. Butler's out of the way. If he was ever going to become engaged, at least on the offensive end, wouldn't this be it? Or is it a matter? I mean, I guess I'm not watching these games. We are sort of doing with a box score analysis by box score here. Maybe he's being frozen out of the offense a little bit, but with with Derek Rose and others there now. But I just I would have thought there would have been something. And I always say this too. And I said this to my son when he played basketball. I said basketball is a democratic game in this sense. If you're not going to put in the work. You're not going to get the ball. And I think with Wiggins, it's like he doesn't do anything when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Just totally disinterested on defense, totally disinterested in doing anything to help his team on offense. Why would you give the guy the ball? And then he turns it over four times and that without an assist. What I'm, I think Andrew Wiggins likes money. That's the end of my analysis. That, <laughs> what? What else? What else is there? Well, yeah, I mean, has, someone... has a player ever been paid more on potential than what this guy has, without actually showing it? And I was one of the last people does to jump off the bandwagon because I was a believer in this guy for a lot longer than, than a lot of other people were. I'm now ashamed to say it, but even I've had to jump off the bandwagon. I'm trying desperately to sell stock, and there's no buyers out there. Surprisingly enough. Um, I've just never seen a guy pay this much money on potential alone and then almost automatically just tank from as soon as he got the contract. Yeah, the closest I can think of is Dan Godzerich back when the Bucks signed him to... Uh, <laughs> I knew they'd be a terrible Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no. Usually these max contracts go to, right, basically to 
apologize to a player for being underpaid for the previous contract, right? like Curry or DeRozan and that sort of thing, or what's about to happen to the likes of Chris Middleton and so on and so forth. Even Blake, right, was a bit of a thank you for being awesome. Okay, here you go. He's $150 million. Thanks, buddy. So, yeah, you're right. That's a very fair question, and I'm not even going to answer that rhetorically, which is no. I don't think anything's ever been – this much money has been paid for potential and based on so little data. It's What are they – what is it based on? Oh, I have it, seen games where the guys looked the, looked the package that you would want you would have wanted them to look and the idealised version at different stages of your career. I remember a game against Chicago when Jimmy Butler was there and he just torched Jimmy Butler and, and the Bulls on that particular night and you thought this is this is the guy that, that we've been expecting and then you just didn't see for the next four or five games. So we've seen little snippets here and there, but it's only been a game here or there. There's I don't think there's been any stretch to this point in his career, where he's uh, where he's sustained any level of excellence. So consistency is a fair question. I'd even make it more insulting and go, "What has he gotten better at?" And you're going to struggle. I think he's, I, I think he's actually gotten worse in most areas. That's what I mean. He's like, regressed. What he actually, yeah, what's he actually gotten better at? He's gotten better at right disappearing. He's gotten better at. Not knowing how to assert himself when he's around, surrounded by, by good players, I go. He is just he is destined to at best be Carmelo in New York. That's his head. That's the best he can do. I'm. We'll see. Well, I don't we'll even think if, he's the he's ceilings there nowadays. Yeah, I that's what I'm saying. At does. best, but you need to get rid of Cat to find out. That's why I think he's he is always going to be Batman or sorry Robin to someone's Batman because that's his temperament. And I mean, man, if that gets you 150 million, and good on you. I don't see it. I think that I think that contract right now is untradeable. Mm. Untradeable, unless you were going to throw in two first round, protect the first round picks or something, um, to get rid of him. I just don't see who's going to take a chance on this guy. Yeah, uh, he's he's definitely in Minnesota for the year. So I still had I still had Minnesota at nine just out of the playoffs, even knowing that they're about to get, you know, 50 cents on the dollar for Jimmy Butler. So whether they get back Josh Richardson or Tobias Harris, I still think this is a team just on the outside looking in. Um, no, no way. They get, with, if you, but, you put Josh Richardson and even Bam Adebayo, give them the, the, then this was the trade that was talked about. It's apparently fallen over today, but that may be revived um, with Miami. Josh Richardson and Bam Adebayo throw them onto this team. I, I don't see them winning. I, I think they'll struggle to get the 35 wins, Daz. Yeah, that's where, this is where we differ, I guess, right? So I still think this is probably a, I think it's a 40-win team. I think I got them at number nine on the outside looking in with the possibility that they go, you know, them and the Washington Bullet Wizards are the teams with where the, the drama in the downside of locker room dissension, trade demands, internal fighting, coaches fired in season is is very very high. So they've got a they do have a chance of completely imploding, you know, whilst the season's going on, and you know, especially with this fractured Thibodeau and Timberwolves um, team, which um, has not been to be solved by trading Jimmy Butler. That's the most 
one of the more egregious parts of this whole entire disgusting story. So, well, I think the the um, problem for them is too. Wiggins has already checked out as we as we've spoken about. So it's like who who's going to come with Cat for the ride um, now? Because he's still putting up numbers. But who's who is he's going to be? Who is he is going to be? He's Robin if he's going to be Batman because it's not going to be Andrew Wiggins. Um, so I'm I'm just not convinced where it's going to come from. I mean, certainly there's, from night to night, maybe Derek Rose puts up some numbers, but that's not going to win your basketball games. I'm not convinced Carl Anthony Towns is a great Batman anymore. We got sort of evidence, a little evidence of that was, you know, his disappearing last year a little bit. Still phenomenally skilled and phenomenally efficient offensive player, but the question will be, can he, can he actually carry a team? Because he's not skilled like a Nikola Jokic is, which is a a natural sort of player who includes everyone. Now it's perhaps a little bit unfair to compare him to what's looking like going to be a, a literally one of the perhaps a top five of all time passers, right by by centers with Jokic. So perhaps it's an unfair comparison. But if you're talking building an entire franchise around a player, it's as volatile and as injury prone as Embiid is. You'd take Embiid over Carl Anthony Towns, wouldn't you? Oh, every day of the week. I don't right. understand the, the, the love. The, the analytics guys love Towns, but I'm just, from the eye test point of view, I just don't see it. I, I see the numbers, but he's never been a winner in his career outside of last season, and, and you would put most of that down to Jimmy Butler. Yeah, so this team is a, this team is a wreck, but I still, you know, when I start comparing them to Portland, who I'm really low on Portland, um, Memphis, and LAC, that's why I got Minnesota number nine. It's also just by, you know, they just have a lot of talent and a, a coach who will be coaching for his life. And so I think they, they'll win some games, right? And there'll be, as you said, there'll be games when Wiggins does, you know, kind of hit 11 for 15 and hits his four three-pointers. And, you know, they just they kind of do, they just out-athlete, you know, the opponents. So, um, so yeah, but I still, I'm I still a lot got them outside. I'm a lot yeah. um, yeah. Last point on this, the Jimmy Butler trade. So, as I said, Miami uh, it had fallen over. What, what's your thoughts? I mean, you put that put Jimmy Butler on Miami, obviously they move up to a certain level in the East. I think the problem I have for trading for Jimmy Butler at the moment is you're almost saying, well, we're going to sign this guy to a five-year deal. And mm-hmm. this is a guy, I don't, I'm not convinced his game's going to age well. He's And, and I think... I'll say this too about Jimmy Butler. I think if he gets injured again this year, I think he might find he has a hard time finding a max deal in the off-season. I don't think teams are going to be lining up to give this guy uh, four years and, and be paying him big money in, in season 33, 34, or age 33, 34 seasons um, for him. Uh, so uh, buyer beware from Miami. I understand they're a little bit stuck in terms of their roster construction, but I'm not sure if this is the move that I'll be looking to make if if I was the Miami Heat, because I think you're just locking yourself in to, at best, a 5-6 seed in the Eastern Conference for the next few years, and you're giving away a little bit of your, um, you know, whatever upside it is on that roster you're giving away, as well as potentially a draft pick from what we've heard from some of the trades that we talked about. I guess I have a different point of view, and I think this is the Jimmy Butler is exactly why Pat Riley has put the roster together the way he has. He's drafted well enough, has tradable contracts, such that the next time, right, perhaps anticipating that there is going to be a next disgruntled pre-agent, and that that fact is going to be 
uh, I think probably played out year after year after year now, and it's proving right, and it's that, that sort of the dynamics accelerating. So I think this is precisely what what why Pat's got the roster the way he's got it. But then it. you've got Jimmy Butler's your guy, and yeah. I just don't think he's a star at a level that takes you anywhere. Not not at his age. He'll take you further than Josh Richardson and Bam Adebayo. Yeah, but is that is that the end game? Is it just to get a little bit further than than what you would get anyway? Look, the league is so fluid, Daz. It's a fair question, but I go right. This is a fucking hard league to win in. Golden State's almost surely going to win the championship again. So you gotta you gotta measure your success by different you know different mile markers. And I go getting a star like Butler, and he's undeniably still a top twenty NBA player, right? Even if he plays, I think the clock's ticking on that. I think this this season's his last year where he's going to be Maybe. that level, and then you're going to sign him yep. to a massive contract, and you're not you're going to be paying for past performance at that point. Maybe right. So in the age 29, 30, 31 seasons, look, there's still a, probably a pretty good chance he has, you know, three spectacular, you know, sort of prime, you know, all star level sort of sort of years and again going to the east you know that helps as well that's true i think it's a i think it's a really good trade for miami i go because what's their alternative right keep tyler johnson and josh richardson and bam i go i tell you what swinging for the fences and it's it's also doesn't but it's not swinging for the fences does it's swinging for for a single in my view yeah but i but you i guess you you play the hand i guess play the hand you're dealt they've made their bed with this roster does i guess that's why well i'd rather play that with this roster Top out of the seven eight to get these contracts off the books and then take your chances in free agency in a couple of years and lock yourself into Jimmy Butler, and to me you're going nowhere. Yeah, I I think I think Riley thinks differently, and I think the Miami fan base thinks differently, especially in a Dwayne Wade, you know, farewell season. You got you know I don't know how strong the connection is, you know, to you know to Marquette alum, you know they didn't overlap. Well, they didn't um, like playing with each other much in Chicago. Well, who walked, who, that team was a train wreck. Well, that's true. No one well, likes that's, that's, I mean, everyone's like, why are we here? <laughs> to get paid. Okay. <laughs> See ya. Right. Bye. Like, that was a That's that probably was an, a pay- unfair, but it wasn't the happiest. Paycheck pit room. stop. No, it was a paycheck pit stop, wasn't it? So, um, so look, I guess back to the point. I've got, I got the Clippers down at number 12. I just... I think they've got a really, you know, nice set of um, they got a dozen guys who I'd like as my seventh man, and we'll see if Doc Richards can, Rivers can coach this year because he's going to have to coach the shit out of this team, you know, to get something out of it. So I got they don't they're a nice team with some nice pieces, and but they're just not going to scare anybody. Well, they, I mean, they've they got can... Gortat, they've got uh, Mike Scott came in as a free agent, yeah. and Barmuta yeah. came in as a right. free agent. Um, Gildress Alexander and Jermaine Robinson. Jerome Robinson's hurt as well already. Yeah. Um, and they lost Sam Decker, obviously, John Dre Jordan, Austin Rivers, and uh, CJ Williams was waived. In just, who, who's, the, who's the last player introduced opening night at the Staples Centre for the Clippers? You mean the 15th man or this last no, starter? No, the last starter. Like the, the number one guy, the one that everyone comes to see. And now. <laughs> Uh, Montrezel Harrell. Montrez. Yeah. I think it's probably it's, Tobias Harris, isn't it? I it's mean, probably Tob- 
It was probably Toby Harris, that's right. Has there ever been a less inspiring? Maybe when Mo Williams was announced as the last starter <laughs> uh, for the Cavs when, when LeBron first went back to Cleveland. But there's... Um, I'll yeah, tell you I'll, that... I'm, I'm just going to one-up you with Bucks lore, right? Blue Edwards and, <laughs> Blue Edwards and Brad Lowhouse was the NBA Jam duo, Daz. Boom! End of story. <laughs> oh, big buddy so Brad, the... come on. <laughs> big but the Brad the body Lowhouse. <laughs> Yeah, you make Doncic look like Schwarzenegger, fucking hell. So yeah, Clippers are gonna suck, Daz. You got them. I got them at eleven as well. Well, I predicted yeah. when we spoke about this yeah. team heading into the season, we'd spend about thirty yep. seconds on them. I think that's been thirty yep. seconds too long. Very uninspiring. But look, the roster full of NBA players. I think they're going to be competitive most nights. Um, but I'd be surprised if they're pushing up there. Um, for too long, the players. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they'll sit. They'll sit around five hundred for quite a bit of the season. Uh, but I've got a feeling they might be a seller at the trade deadline and start to move a few contracts. Um, yeah. And one guy is uh, two days. It's just one guy that they're looking. At. There's a big sort of word. He's going to be moved on, and the likes of Phoenix and Sacramento. Uh, oh, sorry, Phoenix. And uh, who was the other team that was sniffing around there? Um, I thought it was Sacramento, but it wasn't anyway. Phoenix was Phoenix and Orlando were the two teams sniffing around there because they do know the point guard, and I think he could he could certainly make a change, particularly in Orlando. I'd like to see a, a good point guard go there, which they haven't had for a few years. We'll move on from the Clippers uh, to Memphis. Memphis is another team that's reasonably uninspiring. Although I wouldn't, if Memphis made the playoffs, I don't think I'd be absolutely stunned by that development because it's all going to come down if, if Conley and, and Gasol can play you know, 70 games or thereabouts. I think, obviously, that raises their ceiling. My big question for them was, how much gas do you think Marc Gasol's got left in the tank, Daz? My sort of feeling is I think he, he's sort of running on fumes at this page, but he did play, yeah. he did have some games off last year. Maybe he comes back refreshed this year, but I'm, I'm pretty low on where Marc Gasol's at. And I actually think you may see uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. just played more minutes with, as the only centre out there. Wouldn't surprise me to see Gasol's minutes drop significantly uh, as this season goes on. Well, I, I watched him f- fairly closely because he was my fantasy starter last year, and I what I saw was right. I guess two things: one, it's you can see that right, the, as you age, right, your defense goes right. You saw you even see with the greats like Timmy D as the years got on, as Kevin Garnett the years got on, is that. You know your your defensive game can start to go. That's it. We we could have seen a little bit of that with um, with Gasol last year at his was he age thirty two, age thirty three season. I think this year, age thirty three last year, age thirty four this year. Yeah, but without getting inside the man's head and being in the locker room, as I I have a I have a sense that there is there's probably more um, just effort and motivation related, uh, you know, drop in performance last year as there would be a sort of precipitous or, you know, a drop in physical, you know, capability, right? That once, once Colony went down last year, that team was literally playing for nothing. And it, it just, you know, it was basically playing to watch Tyreek Evans, you know, try to get a really good contract is, is what that team turned out to. And having the most unlikely player, um, uh, what's his face, Dylan Brooks, uh, led Lead all rookie, minutes, yeah. For led all rookies. rookies in minutes, right? Mm. Yeah, pretty remarkable for a. He was a second rounder, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a second round pick. Sorry, that video is going off automatically again. 
So, um, yeah, it's a pretty unusual, very unusual season for the for the Grizz. And um, look, so look, you, you just they're hoping for right. They're hoping for a revival of Conley and Gasol. You know, just two respected, venerated, you know, um, veterans who know know how to play NBA basketball. You're hoping for you know a bit a bit of bump from the guys like Wayne Selden. You know, Slomo Anderson can play. NBA well, they bought basketball. in Slomo. They bought in Garrett Temple. They yeah. bought in Omri Caspi, who I actually think Omri Caspi might go okay. I know he did absolutely nothing for the Warriors last yeah. year, but he just he, for whatever reason he wasn't good fit at Golden State. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him um, be at least playable and, and a reasonable player for Memphis. Um, it is this season is like their strategy is to have the least athletic players possible, though, right? I mean, well, just, that's grit and grind, isn't it? I mean, that's, grit and grind their... is Ivan Rabb and Dylan Brooks and Andrew Harrison. They're not athletes. Wayne Seldes is not an athlete. Slomo Anderson's not an athlete. J. Michael Green's a grinder. Sheldon Mack is a you know bulldog kind of grinder. From Butler, right? Marshawn Burks, Caspi's a grinder. Conley is more more guile than anything. It's Garrett Temple is mm. a grinder. It's just an amazing that is a. It's just as you said. It's kind of an old retro grit and grind sort of style. And I go, is JB Bickerstaff the coach for that team? That and was I a guess, surprise to me that he got the yeah. job after the. Um... But no, not not exactly doing a stellar job, but admittedly in very tough circumstances in, in his defence. I was yeah. a bit surprised that they went with that. But yeah. at the end of the day, I think they're, they're sitting there saying, look, if we get Conley and Gasol um, healthy for, as I say, around 70, that 65, 70 game mark, I think we can push for that 7 or 8 seed. Um, the other thing to watch with them is their pick... Uh, is also another one that goes to Boston if it falls outside uh, the top eight. So they may be a tank candidate as if something goes wrong in this early part of the year. And they say, you know what, we need to push up into that top eight picks to keep our pick this year um, rather than have it go to Boston. So um, that's just something else to watch out for as this season goes on. And obviously the big the big player to watch there too is Jaron Jackson, who made the big start in, in Summer League, hitting all them shots, and has looked pretty good um, at different stages in the pre-season as well. But we might move on, Daz, to another disagreement that we have. And now outside of our uh, playoffs here, you've got uh, Portland on the outside, and I've got Denver on the outside. Now, we're, we're a little bit out on mm. on Denver and Portland. We might start with Portland. You've got Portland as the 10 seed. I've got them as the 8 seed. Let me read you some numbers today from Portland's pre-season game, days because I think this is going to be something we're going to see a bit of from their box scores this year. So, Damien Lillard, plus minus, was plus 22. Uh, Nurkic was plus 15. And McCollum was plus 18. And then they go to their bench. Zach Collins was minus 22. And thanks for the video. <laughs> We're just doing pop culture references now in the middle of the... <laughs> this is why we subscribe to The Athletic. No videos, no pop-ups, no ads. Yeah. Yeah, so I was uh, just pulling up the the, the Blazers box score. Oh, I've got a nice off, so yeah. so Zach Collins go. was minus 22. Uh, Nick Stauskas was minus 14. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. was amazing, minus 17 in six minutes. Miles Leonard, minus 10. Caleb Swanigan, minus 16. Like, as soon as this team goes to their bench this year, Daz, they are going to fall off a cliff. 
Wayne Baldwin the seventh was um, <laughs> <laughs> minus twenty eight in, in fourteen Jan making me like minutes minus twenty eight in a quarter of basketball Daz. that is remarkable how did they do that that's pretty remarkable because they only lost the game by eleven. And they were ahead by nine at the end of one. Well, there's some they're weird ahead. plus minuses in this. Like, Ekpaudo came off the bench and played seven minutes and was plus 20. So, this was obviously a game of runs. But look, I, I, don't, take, other, yeah. I don't say that to take that as, as proper analysis. But what I'm saying is, I think that's going to be, my prediction is, that's going to be quite a normal box, sport, box score for Portland because I think their bench is going to be horrific. I think what they did in the off-season, if we turn now to their off-season, I think you, know, you look at some names and you think, well, you know, Shabazz Napier, okay, that's not a big loss. Ed Davis, not a big loss. But I think when you look at the importance of some of these guys mm. to that particular roster, I think now you're saying, okay, and even Pat Connaughton, who's had some moments for the Bucks in the pro season, dare I say it does. Um, Papa Giannis will know, I'm not too worried about that. And then they bring in Seth Curry, Nick Stauskas, um, Anthony Simons, who they drafted, and Gary Trent Jr., who they drafted. So you're not expecting much from the rookies. And they didn't get much from Swanigan last year. They Swanigan had a nice summer league this year. Zach Collins is the guy that they're, they're all talking up and thinking he's going to have a good season. Look, he looked okay last year, but I'm, I wasn't overly excited about what Zach Collins showed either. I just, I really worry when they turn to their bench this year, and heaven forbid if Lillard and McCollum sit together in any games, what's going to happen this time? Yeah, I think I, 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 I'm 100% with you. That's why I've got them falling to number 10, Daz. And I'd love to hear your argument, how you have them finishing ahead of Denver, in that I think Portland, as you've just rightly pointed out with their recent box score, is their bench was very weak last year, and their three leading bench players all played 1,500 minutes last year, Daz. Uh, is uh, Ped, uh, Napier 1535 Connaughton he played 1535 in 74 games Connaughton 1488 minutes in 82 games and Ed Davis played 1471 in 78 games that was the anchors right that was their six seven and eight men right? holding that team together and they're all gone they even lost Noah Vonley who could you know, he only played 500 minutes but you know replacing them with the guys you just pointed out um, they're expecting Miles Leonard to start to earn his contract. Caleb Swanigan, who again makes you know slow mo Anderson, you know look like you know look like Andrew Wiggins in terms of athleticism. He's just uh, Swanigan's just not an NBA player. I don't know how they think he is. Jake Lehman and Wade Baldwin the ninth. Nick Bloody Stauskas, Sauce Effing Castillo. Like what? What has happened? Well, my to, argument to on them is, I think. McCollum and, and Lillard are the second best backcourt in the NBA behind uh, Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry. Um, I, well, I guess you've got Paul mm. and Harden, depending on how you, how you view mm. them. I, I often look at Harden as a, a three for whatever reason because Eric Gordon plays so many minutes with him. But I mean, I think they're in that conversation anyway, the top backcourts. I think in terms of regular season play, I think Damien Lillard is probably a top five player in the NBA. I don't think he's top five overall, but I think in what he's going to produce in the regular season, I think that's where he's going to fall. I just think when you've got a player that can play at that level, and he played that level for probably six weeks last year where he was on Steph Curry sort of level days. He was putting up ridiculous numbers, hitting ridiculous shots night after night. The big question for them is, can he sustain it? Because he's he is going to carry a hell of a load 
this year, and I think McCollum's going to have to carry an even bigger load for this team. And they're absolutely going to be marked men. Just the respect I have for Lillard, I think he'll push them into the playoffs, and I'll get to Denver in a minute while I'm a little bit a little bit lower on them. But that's the only reason. I've got them falling from three down to eight, and I just think, you know, it you're getting that, that 15 or so minutes of competence that you're getting from a Shabazz Napier and from an Ed Davis. Um, and as you touched on, you know, some of the big minutes that guys were playing off the bench, so it was probably even more than that 15, 20 minutes a night at, at times. That's going to be a massive loss. And when you're turning at the bench and seeing the likes of Nick Stask is sitting there, um, I don't think it's going to end well um, for the Portland Trailblazers. And I think the the mental scars of being swept the way they were as well from, from the Pelicans, I think once teams show them a similar style of defence, which I think we're going to see more commonly um, through the regular season, are they going to be able to, um, to get past that? And is there going to be some mental scars um, from that as well? So I wouldn't even be surprised to see them start poorly because on the back of that sort of thing. I generally don't like knee-jerk reactions to small sample sets like, you know, four-game series. Um, like you just talked about the sweep um, at the Pelicans. And those games might have been a little bit close in terms of point differential, but those games didn't feel close. Like, those games feel like they were all controlled by New Orleans. And I, I just think that whilst I don't believe at all that breaking up Lillard and McCollum is the, the right thing to well, do at all. the worry I have with it, Daz, is it was a certain style of basketball that, that defeated them. Well, that, and that's not well, that, something that they'd seen. That's I think right. you're going to see more of it now in the regular season. It's similar to what Indiana had to go through. But I think Indiana have added to their roster in a way that they can possibly overcome that. Whereas Portland, what I see from their roster, I think if, if teams throw the same thing at them, what, what's their plan B going to be? And it's going to be interesting to see what Terry Stotts comes up with. Well, that's right where I go. I think um, this is not in their nature, um, a bit of the, the stability of the franchise, but I just don't know what jettisoning Pat Connaughton, Ed Davis, and Shabazz Napier does for a team that got, you know, unceremoniously swept and I go this I you could have made a case for a a Dwayne Casey like house clean and we go boy we can't trade um DeRozan and Lowry but man we can change the vibe at the top and now granted they didn't have you know as consistent of playoff failures the way Toronto did but I could have I could have seen the logic of a keep Dame and CJ and find ways to, quote, blow it up, you know, whether that meant Aminu or Nurkic or whatever it was. But I I worry about I worry about the team starting five. They're going to expect a lot of – they're going to expecting a lot, right, from, uh, you know, from the, the likes of the the baby Curry and Alfred Aminu, you know, to, to do secondary scoring. And I go, my God, that is a perilous, perilous proposition – so I just I just think they're they're thin in the starting five and they're thin. Well, I think you're going to see bench. lineups as where it's going to be Lillard, McCollum, and and Seth Curry out there, and good luck for that defensively. But they're just yeah, so that's, short of of NBA players. That's why I just I I I'd probably have to do a little bit better research before the pod, but I I wonder if they are under some sort of um sort of mandate in terms of um. Uh, salary, but they've got to be up close to the tax of the money they blew on 
on Miles Leonard and and paying Nurkic 11, 12 million a year. You wonder if they're actually running into the, they must be running close to the tax, hey? Yeah, I'd probably have to look that up. But, they're one yeah. of the top teams in terms of um, payroll. That's why they have to get rid of Alan Crabb and make other moves. Um, other similar sort of salary dump type moves um, to try and uh, get rid of get rid of players like that on their roster. And they've Evan Turner, Crab. don't forget. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, you're right. They're number seven in payroll. Yep. Good grief. Good grief. Evan Turner, seventeen million. Oh my God, eighteen million. It's one of the cap sheets oh, in the Jesus. league. Like Miles yeah. Leonard's on the big big deal. They're the box. Yeah, they are. Well, I Maybe guess they, I didn't Lillard could be the the Giannis. I guess, but I, I think I'd rather have Giannis at this point. But I think I guess Lillard... maybe yeah, maybe fucking Tony Snell and and I don't know. Maybe Tony Snell's Ben Myers hundred. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know. But anyway, that's a. I I, I don't have them in the playoff. If you're you're sort of saying Dame can drag them over eighty two games and CJ if they both play say seventy five seventy six games, I suppose. I um, I just think there's a there's a good chance that this team falls out of the playoff race and just never and never recovers. And um, yeah, I just oh look, I think the thing about well. the West too, Daz, is between seeds three to ten. Honestly, you could talk me into the. I guess Memphis. I'm, I think their their height to me is probably the eight seed. They could maybe sneak into the playoffs. But in terms of you know, I've got Utah at three. But if, if, if Utah picked up one or two injuries, I wouldn't be surprised to see them fall down to the 10-11 spot. Um, and I think there's a number of teams in that playoff race in the West that, you know, the, the difference between 3 and 10 is not going to be that much. So I, I, I take your point that, that saying that Portland's going down to the 10 seed, it's not as disrespectful as you might think for a team that was the number 3 seed last year. Well, I mean it disrespectfully. I mean, I think they're going to, I think they'll be struggled to be a 500 team. I think they're, uh, it feels like a, this could be very well a, oh, a 38, no, I, 30. Yeah, I think for they'll sure. be this better than that. I think they'll be better than that. No, I'm, I'm pounding the under. Yeah. I think you're a bit too low on them in that sense. Let's, let's move on to the Denver Nuggets, who was the other team. Um, this is a team that I'm a bit low on. This is the problem I have with Denver. They're just low IQ. I, I don't respect low IQ basketball teams, Daz. And yes, I think they're going to have a very good home record. They had a very good home record last year. They're just going to drop dumb games away from them. <laughs> They're going to drop games to Orlando. They're going to drop games in Madison Square Garden. They're probably going to drop a game to Phoenix or Sacramento at some stage. Like, this is just a dumb basketball team that throws <laughs> games away. And you're playing off for an eight seed. Oh, look, on talent alone, they should be in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. But when you start throwing your games away, particularly in a race that's this close, um, I can see them finishing ninth. Again, where have I got them? I've got them right on ninth again. I think they're going to miss the game, miss the playoffs by game yet again, Daz, because that's just that's just so on point for this team. And you know, you look at the turn they picked up Isaiah Thomas, not not a guy that's known for his IQ. He's injured again, won't start the season, or still really recovering from injury from last year. So yeah, the the future for him does not look great, um, and no real massive loss. Um, for them, Wilson Chandler went to the Sixers, but he's always injured. And Fareed uh, went to the Nets, who wasn't playing this <coughs> lineup anyway. So talk me through it, Daz. I, mean, I, I understand the, the point of view of this, they're going to turn these games into track meets. The, and, and them and Utah have the best 
home advantage in in the league in terms of playing at altitude and those Denver Utah back to backs. Whoever's playing the second game, I don't care if it's Golden State coming in the second game of those back to backs. You can almost always chalk it up as a loss, like it is the biggest home advantage in the league. But you've got to be able to travel, and defense travels, and IQ travels. This is something that this team doesn't have. I can't argue with that. I I think this was probably they were almost Charlottean, almost <laughs> like the Hornets, the Hornets of seventeen. The, the the Nuggets were of eighteen. The team who you're ranked. You're right. We must have had several episodes where we thought. Um, this is the dumbest team in the league. The shit that they would pull, their lack of execution, and we got to question a bit of their coaching. I guess I'm I, in the same vein that it would have been hard to predict um, Portland to spike up and win 49 games. I go, someone's got to, someone's got to finish sixth in the West, right? And I go, I, they just have enough upside with Gary Harris, enough upside with Jamal Murray. You know, well, Barton's finally got paid. He's going to get more playing time. Um, Jokic, um, as he in, gets incrementally gets into better shape and and can hopefully play, you know, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more longer minutes. And then some decent upside with players like Malik Beasley and Tyler Lydon and Trey Lyles. They're just kind of modern styled, interchangeable. You know, six ten guys, all of all of them, and I just think there's enough, and I don't expect anything from Isaiah Thomas if he gives you, you know, 50 games at, you know, 14 points a game on 40% oh, shooting, geez, fine. That, yep. it'd, be, it'd be fine, right? So, What about Millsap? Millsap was injured for a yeah. lot last year. Yeah. Like, my worry with Millsap, does he fit on this roster? He He's he's the only smart guy in a room full of idiots. <laughs> and he's the only guy that plays defense. Yeah. Like, yeah, look, I just I, I like it if you give me a guy on a team for all full of defensive defensive guys that can play offense, I can see the fit. You give me a guy that that prides himself on defense for with a bunch of guys that couldn't care less. I just don't think it fits. Well, I, I wonder though. Is he is? I guess he's the he's the, he's the anchor in in many ways. And in theory, he think about it though, Dad. He does fit nicely next to Jokic, right? He's such a, he's a solid stretchy four who's rugged and he can in clear defensive rebounds, right? He's a really nice theoretical fit next to Jokic. Now, none of this team plays defense. So that's why I kind of go. Well, Millsap is a good defensive player. He's a decent one-on-one defender, but again, much like the world lost their fucking mind, um, my counterpart here included, saying how James Harden is a good defender this year, um, forgetting that when the four defenders around you are all NBA level, that you know what, you kind of look good when you don't have much no, work to I do. I did not say that. You put in words in my mouth. I said he defended well within his role this season, whereas the guy you were advocating for may very yeah. well have been the worst defender in the entire league. Sure. There's the difference. When your role is to stand around and do nothing against the worst offensive player, well done. High five, MVP. There you go. Well, what about your roles do nothing and against the best offensive player? What's the difference? Yeah, but he decided not to try. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> let's not, anyway, let's not let's go not back down there. To that, that I, so, Siri, um, 
Uh, nope, I'm not arguing Denver plays defense. I, I know I'm not going to pretend to argue that. I think Millsap fits fine. I think he'll do enough competent defense. But and I go theoretically the, the theoretical physicalness of a Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, both you know good size for their position and rugged physical players as they learn, hopefully learn the modern game and learn how to defend. Um, they should theoretically be better, or at least I would hope like a league average at, at the point of attack. That's that's something to build from. But Will Barton won't be mistaken for a defender. Jokic certainly isn't mistaken for. I guess he could be he could be league average one day, but I, he's a long way from it. So they're not going to win on the defensive end with stops. They're going to win with right, exemplary, efficient offense and. Well, they you know, need to be ten points up, Daz, they, in those games yeah. because they give me any, do, give me almost any crazy. team in the league in a close game against this team. Because when you don't have a point guard, that's when you just throw games away. And that that, that yeah. you know that as well as I do, Daz. Get them in a close game, that basketball is going to be flying all over the gym. And yeah. I feel sorry for the yeah. announcers because sometimes their head nearly gets taken off by some yeah. of the passes that are getting thrown that's around. True in Denver at the end of those games. So not a team I'm confident on. Um, okay, well, we'll see where they end up um, at the end of the end of the season. And a team we're, we're pretty much the same on is, is the Los Angeles Lakers. We've both got them at the bottom end of the of the playoffs. Um, and, there's, and given the fact that Minnesota and even San Antonio, who we'll talk about, might be looking a little bit more shaky, um, they could actually move up in that. But... I'm I'm fascinated, I guess, and, and I don't think we should spend too long on the Lakers because we have spoken quite a bit about them. But it seems to me the story's coming out that the move's going to be making pretty quickly to move to the younger guys on this roster, the likes of the Josh Hart's, the Kyle Kuzma's, etc., rather than giving too much time to um, Lance Stevenson uh, and uh, Michael Boosley and players like that, which which maybe there was a little bit too much of a, a case made or, or fuss made over those signings. That's the number one thing. The number two thing I'd say about this roster, it shows where the NBA is at it now when a team goes into the season literally without an NBA-quality player at the centre position, um, unless you want to count Mo Wagner, um, who's currently injured. But when you're going with, was it Zubach and Javal Magoo as your centres, it just shows how devalued that position has become in the last sort of four or five years of the league does. Yeah, I'm with you. It's 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 that, that's a trajectory, and that, that also tells you very loud and clear that, you know, Le- LeBron's going to play some five. No it's doubt fucking, about it, is he? It's just as fucking crazy as that would have sounded even four four years ago, right? The greatest, you know, perhaps, probably the, the greatest. Is that the future for his game? I mean, can you see him in the next few years? Because that, you know, it, it's not the old way of playing centre where you think you're banging bodies down low. Well, I think, could, could LeBron handle that physically for the next two or three years to play bigger bigger minutes hmm. there? Yeah, but not being, I mean, I don't know, not not, not significant minutes because, like, he's never going to, Never going to be mistaken for a rim protector. He's only six eight after all, but he's right. This is one of the strongest men we've ever seen play the you know play the game. You know, minus the Moses Malone and Shaqs who weigh three hundred pounds. Right? He's a he's a freak of nature. But yeah, for sure, as other teams go small, so too does LeBron. And why not have the greatest passer in NBA, one of the greatest passers in history, um, play the five and you know bring the ball up the court? 
that's a pretty dynamic sort of way to develop your team. You know, you, you, you put him down low against, you know, go bear for, you know, some possessions. Why not? You know, put him against the players who don't have dynamic, you know, sc- scoring and doesn't have to do too much work in the post. Sure. But I don't think that's his, you know, it's not like going to be his position. No, no, I no. He, I understand no. that. But yeah. I think he could yeah. play Draymond Green type minutes um, at the center position. Yeah, that's a good way to say what it. What about, I mean, Josh Hart's the guy that interests me. This is a guy that was taken 12 picks after DJ Wilson in the draft as. And I just, I yep. like the upside. <laughs> I had to point that out. I like the upside of this guy. Oh, he, no, that was there was no secret. I, I lit... I said that's this is the Malcolm Brogdon of the draft. I was hoping that he would fall to the Bucks. I, I thought he'd fall to Spurs. Spurs had to pick the very next pick. Yeah, and yeah. Um, this guy, this dude, can play. And I think perfect player to play next to LeBron James. Very high floor, high IQ, right? So that was not really a mystery. It's just the I don't know what happened on draft day, but um, but yeah, he's going to play a lot. He looked great in summer league. And he's getting run. Well, he started the last preseason game, so this. Well, that's what I mean. That's going to get very. That's going to get very interesting. Is I suppose that does that mean he starts at the two though next to Lonzo, or does he start at the point right next? I think he'll start at the the, the two with Lonzo. With Lonzo, Uh, yeah, and and, start the season at the one, but once Lonzo's fit, uh, Lonzo move in there. Imagine the spacing of that bench with Lonzo and MKG. Oh, brother! Right, sorry, not Lonzo. I mean. um, Rondo, with Rondo and um, MKG. Well, no, I think um, you're going to be looking at Rondo. Obviously, Kuzma will come off the bench as well, um, and we'll sort of see, I guess, what other players that they bring out there. I, I'm, I'm not convinced Lance Stevenson and Boozley you're going to see a hell of a Sorry, I, I, KCP, I, I get the... KCP's are the reasonable... I meant uh, Kid Gilchrist and KCP yeah, next up, sorry, but... I thought you were talking about Beasley, and there was some sort of Milwaukee name no, for Beasley. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but no, and, and KCP can shoot okay, so I, yeah. I think they'll make it work to some degree. I think Kuzma's a bit overrated, actually. That's a guy that I'd be maybe looking to move if you were going to be um, looking for guys that that um, have some value of the young guys, he'd probably be one guy that I'd be maybe looking to move move on from. Yeah, him. he'd be a great trade-high candidate, wouldn't he? I think so. If I think he's, he's a, he's a yeah. sell-high candidate for sure. But we'll look, we'll see yeah. maybe he lives up to... He's a great guy off the court, but I'm just not sure um, of, of what he's able to do um, if he's able to replicate that off the court. And he's just a horrific defender. Um, Jabari yeah. like doesn't care about that end of the floor at all, whereas... Josh Hart, nice defender, can shoot off the bounce, um, nice pull-up sh- um, shooting for three as well. And Rondo's actually been a, a reasonable three-point shooter in the last couple of seasons as well. And Lonzo Ball shot the ball much better at the second half of last year. So I think the 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 the, the sort of story around this team not having enough shooters, I think, has been a little bit overblown. I actually I actually think this team's going to shoot better. The problem for them is going to be defence. I think they're just going to... And they actually weren't a bad yeah. defensive team last year as as the numbers went, but I just think they're going to be horrifically bad um, at that end of the oh. floor. Um, yeah. Again, theoretically, Lonzo could defend. Theoretically, you know, Casey I, Well, they should defend, be able to defend the know? point of attack, but they, wo- they won't have much rim protection given that how oh, many minutes no. are going to get out of JaVale. And then, you know, even Wagner and, and Zubac, if they play him. You um, just wonder how the hell are they going to play teams like you the might Jazz see Kuzma and, playing and the Spurs. You honestly how might see play... Kuzma playing the five. He might, but I guess, is he just going to have to go so extreme to that end? Because I can imagine them playing 
you know, OKC and the Jets well, get killed on and the, the Spurs. They're going to get destroyed. They're not going to have enough possessions. They're going to so get that's destroyed a, on the on the glass. That's why I, as for as transcendent as he is, and and um, and obviously, I guess we. I try to give him credit where credit is. Try to give him credit for things I can't see. Like you go, there must be some method to this madness. But I just, I, I have a real hard time putting them anywhere higher than like a seven or eight seed this season, just because I think there's just so many obvious mismatches. I think they're going to have runs. I think yeah. they're going to. This is going to be a team yeah. that's going to go on a an eight. They're going to go eight and two in ten games, and they're going to be firing. And then the next, then they're going to go, you know, five and five in the next. And then they might have a bit of a down period. The the big question for me is if they start poorly. What's LeBron's attitude going to be like? What are some of the roster machinations going to be? And are they going to look to make moves this year? Yeah. Or is this just a complete audition year and let, let's make some decisions at the end of it? Which I, I kind of suspect that's going to be. But if there's going to be a point where the rubber meets the road if they look like they're not going to make the playoffs because I don't think LeBron wants to be embarrassed in that sense. And he might either fake an injury and, dis- and go and say, I'm going to get a new um, scoped out yeah, or something like that yeah. and, and shut it down for the season. Or this roster is going to make some moves just so they can get into the playoffs and not be embarrassed. So certainly one of the more entertaining teams to watch in terms of, of how their season evolves, I think, from here. Um, yep. We'll move on, Daz. We'll, we won't spend a lot of time this season because I think there's a, there's a massive unanswered question now, and this is my San Antonio Spurs. So I've... Um, vacillated up and down on this team um, in terms of where I think they're going to finish. I end up having them sixth, um, but I could see them finishing tenth. I could see them finishing highest third, and I sort of just split the difference in the end and threw them in the sixth spot. You've got them in the fourth spot, but there's breaking news today because DeJounte Murray went down with a knee injury. Um, he was fouled on the, on the way to the basket uh, by James Harden and went down pretty hard on his knee. Um, I actually don't know if he, I think he did it before he went down, to be fair. Um, then went down the floor, clutching his knee, did not look good. He did walk off the court, but uh, as you've pointed out, that's not necessarily a sign that, um, that everything's A-OK with his knee. He's going to be sent for an MRI tomorrow. And I just think their, their whole season um, rests on, on this answer. If DeJounte Murray's done for the season, Daz, um, I think the Spurs are out of the playoffs. I'm, I'm not sure... I can't see a roadmap as how they're going to make the playoffs because he's he's such an important part of their their defense, and from what they were talking up in the off season, um, they thought his offense was going to come along quite a bit from what we saw last year. Um, if he's not there, I wouldn't even be able to tell you who who starts a point guard. Uh, Lonnie Walker, who they were high on, as we mentioned earlier, he's also hurt his knee. He's out for an extended period of time. Maybe Derek White starts the season at point guard. Um, this is a guy that's only in his second year. I don't think they're ready. They're envisaging that he would take that much responsibility yet. And I just think there's other holes in the roster anyway, even if DeJounte Murray's there, where there are question marks for this team. But it all does rest on DeJounte Murray um, at the moment. And we've obviously spoken quite a bit about what, what DeMar DeRose and, and, and Jakob Pertl and, and some of the other additions that they've made um, to this team, but what what are your sort of thoughts? I mean, do you do you think it's the same? It, it, let's say Murray's out for the year. Is that it for the Spurs? Kaput? No, I, probably not. That is devastating for a guy who uh, 
he only played 20 minutes a game last year, right? So I think I think we might be overstating his importance. Well, I think I'm, but this is what I'd say to that. This is, they were ready to give the keys to this team to him. They said they were going to play a faster pace. Sure. Um, and and they were building this team. I'll tell you nowadays, within San Antonio, they're not looking at DeMar DeRozan as the next star for this team. They're looking at DeJounte Murray. They thought he had all-star upside, um, if not this season, certainly in the next season. He was already an all-NBA player. And I just think when you base your whole pre-season around, we're going to give the keys to this kid, we're going to play a style that's going to bring out the best in him. And obviously, DeMar DeRozan fits that style anyway, which was going to be a high-paced style, attack-the-basket sort of style. Um, now you're going to have to pivot away from that very, very late before the season starts. And your defence is going to take a massive downgrade um, from Murray, who was an all-defensive level player, yeah. to say Derek White. And this is a team that was a defensive first team last year. I think it's just a too, too big a downgrade to me for them to recover from. Yeah, like I think probably emotionally and defensively I could see that. But I, again, I've... This is a player. It's not like he's been on exactly a meteoric, you know, trajectory. He's already 22 years old. You know, I say already, and I go, he's he's shown flashes, but this is not a. I hear it, and I like him as a player as well. But this is not a, you know, this is not even peak, not even close to peak Rajon Rondo sort of peak, right? So I kind of go, good player, good upside, probably an emotional and floor general leader, but I, I don't know in terms of how big of a difference he is in terms of wins and losses versus a Derek White or a Patty Mills or can Forbes slide over and or that sort of thing. But uh, still a massive blow. I know he's going to be the starter. He's probably penciled in for 25 to 28 minutes a game. But um, um, it does probably knock down in combination with Lonnie, which is another depth piece. And he's, you know, kind of a, probably a really neat variable, you know, on the games that Rudy Gay rests. You know, I think you probably see Lonnie was probably, my guess was he was going to play, you know, probably, you know, I don't know, five, six hundred minutes this year, but get really good runs in the, you know, the rest games for the likes of Rudy or LaMarcus and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, so that's always a tough loss. And I also learned, as you heard the Lonnie news, he had a similar knee injury just a year ago. Well, he had uh, it last repaired, July. so he didn't have it removed. Yeah. And there's debate now whether they're going to remove the meniscus or just repair it. Yeah, um, yeah. And obviously, if they only repair it, there is a chance it continues to happen. If they remove it, yeah. um, then there's chances of, of further problems later in his career. Um, yeah. With arthritis. Usually a, quick, a quicker recovery in this time, but yes, exactly. What, yep. That's what I suffer from is cartilage is gone and you're going to get bone on bone and you have Eric Bledsoe sort of situation where it's just when the cartilage is gone, it could go okay for a while, but until you're the next time your knee kind of does something funny, it could make problems. But so a couple of tough breaks. So I had had them, I had them still, I had them at fourth. I'd probably have to, I would probably bump them down. So all, all that being said about DeJunte where I don't think maybe that I take a couple of wins off their total. So that probably slides them probably down a slot, perhaps given how closely jumbled these teams will probably be. So, yeah, I probably have to move San Antonio off the four spot with those couple of injuries if it's serious. But, but again, I think my summary on them even last time was I think it's going to be fun for – fun might be a strong word <laughs> – super engaging intellectually for Pop to have right so many different pieces and to try and prove the world wrong and 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 see what he can make of it. I just think it, it feels like it's such a – 
such a veteran group with a nice mix of young guys that they could see Pop just sinking his teeth and falling in love with this team, right? You know, even if it's a 47-win team. So it could be, this could be a, you're right, it could be, a, that's what I mean, it's probably more emotional than it is perhaps on the court, uh, the loss of a DeJounte if it's indeed a serious injury, just in terms of what that meant for the personality of the team. Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I'm bumping him down to the 10 spot if, if he's out for the season. That's how important I thought he was uh, right. to, their, to their team. A couple of positive points, I guess. Rudy Gay has looked good in the pre-season, and that, that's significant just from the point of view of they've been working on his shot uh, in the off-season, and uh, he has shot the ball well, so touch wood on that and see if that can continue. My worry on this team, and I said this when they traded away Kawhi, they don't have any wings on the roster, Daz certainly from a defensive point of view. The only true wing they've got on the roster is probably Quincy Pondexter. So just marinate on that for a little bit um, in terms of what, what lineup constructions they can throw out there. Um, yeah. You just don't want to DeMar DeRozan defending in those sort of positions because he he was hard and level bad last year in terms of his defence. Now, I think a lot of that was effort-related. I don't think you're going to see the same issues in San Antonio with him, but he's by no means a great defender. And I just think this is a team that was top five defensive team last year. You had a, a career year out of LaMarcus Aldridge. Are you going to get that level of production again out of him? I'm not convinced you will. Um, let's see. DeMar hasn't shot the ball all that well in the pre-season, but I'm not too worried about that yet. I think DeMar DeRose is going to be fine at San Antonio. But I don't think that the offense is going to increase enough to cover for the, the defensive deficiencies that this team's going to have now. And when you combine with that, that their best shooters are horrific defenders and guys that are good defenders can't shoot. So there's just, there's all sorts of lineup problems. And I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see the mad professor uh, pop and what, what he can go into the lab and create in terms of these lineups because I just can't see um, where the lineups are going to come from that work both defensively and offensively for this team. So I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit down, particularly if DeJounte is gone for an extended period of time. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to be starting to look at Tankathon test, to be, to be brutally honest. Um, that's how down no, that will be. Um, look, that's probably fair, Look, because I think if it, if it does go does go poorly, you, you, you just don't imagine it for Pop team. But if it was anyone, any other manager, or sorry, any other coach than Pop, you'd look at, oh, maybe Gasol, you know, he could be on his last legs, and if he doesn't, if he gets injured, let's say, and DeJunte is gone, you could see this thing going south really quickly. Because if you're going to rely on the likes of Quincy Poindexter and the Dante Cunninghams and the Davis Bertans, if you're relying on those sorts of guys for, you know, you know, to, to win basketball games and not just help fill in rest minutes and, you know, play, if those guys are bumped from, you know, 9th, 10th, and 11th on the depth charts to, you know, 7th, 8th, and 9th, you're, you're right. That's probably, that's probably trouble even for... That's a big talent gap for a guy like Pop to have to overcome in a brutal, brutal West. And that's part of why I I look at a team like Denver who can just, they just, the offensive onslaught, the pressure they're going to put teams under. that's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Because Denver are going to win games on talent alone this year. The Spurs are going to win games on execution alone. But when you start bringing in guys that aren't, aren't quite at that level of execution 
and rely on them for bigger minutes, that goes down a little bit. So I think that's where it's going to be an equaliser for a team like Denver, um, that their talent can just overcome that execution, yep. that level yep. of execution that you see. Um, particularly if you're if you're on there leaning on a really inexperienced point guard in Derek White, because um, Paddy Mills isn't going to start, he'll still come off the bench. And even Paddy, he's not a pure point guard in that sense. And, and you're losing Manu Ginobili as well. We haven't even touched on that. Um, so Manu retires. That's a massive loss now. Um, if if you lose Murray as well, so I'm I just think you you lo- you're losing too much out of this team as um, to recover from even with the genius of Pop um, on the roster. But yeah. we'll see, we'll see. Um, we've been yeah. the Spurs off for so many years now. Um, I uh, but even even I'm now wavering. But we'll see. Hopefully, it's good news on Murray tomorrow when the MRI comes in. And um, if, if, he's, if he is available, then I'm a little bit higher on them and I think they can finish in the sort of middle of the playoffs. And sadly for San Antonio fans, it has been confirmed since we spoke that DeJounte Murray has uh, torn his ACL, so he will be out for the season. So that obviously hurts uh, their ceiling for the year and probably puts them, or in my opinion, at least out of the playoff race. Uh, but Daz still has them in the middle of that top eight. We're going to leave episode 63 there as a part one. We're going to move into a part two and I guess talk a little bit more about the actual contenders within the West, and that's going to start with Utah, New Orleans, OKC, Houston and Golden State, and that's going to be released a little bit later this week. If you like the podcast, please should be sure to get on and give us a rating at iTunes. That's the best way uh, to pass the word around about Daz and Daz as we head into the next uh, NBA season for 2018-19.